0: Hi everyone, I'm John Offord, I'm a broadcaster based in the UK and welcome to Different Minds, a podcast series that looks at neurodiversity the different ways our brains can work and interpret information. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Aspire Autism Consultancy, the leading providers of autism and ADHD training, educating and enabling families, therapists and healthcare professionals to gain knowledge and understanding of neurodiversity. The courses are written by two specialist psychotherapists and include the voices and lived experiences of neurodivergent individuals. For further details, go to www.spireautismconsultancy.co.uk. Today we're going to talk about how it feels to be diagnosed with autism later in life. About 1% of the adult population has been diagnosed as on the autism spectrum with more people diagnosed with autism than ever before. And yet generally the focus on who has autism is still mostly on children and young white cisgender males. To discuss this with me, I'm delighted to be joined by Alicia Nokan, who was diagnosed with ASD at age 32. Hi, welcome to Different Minds.
1: Hi John, lovely to be here.
0: Tell me uh, about yourself. So, so, so whereabouts are you based in the UK? Tell me a bit about your journey and you know, tell me about your autism diagnosis.
1: Sure. Um, so I'm based in London. Um, I've lived in the UK for 14 years now. Um, spent a fair, fair number of years in in Scotland, then moved down to England. Wow. And originally, um, from Poland. Nice. Um, so. Yeah, quite a lot of changes, quite a lot of different countries, which you may think it's quite unusual for someone on the spectrum to be making all these changes. But I'm sure we'll get to to the reason behind it, because I think um, there's always a reason for for many of the decisions that we make. I've always loved maths. It's, It's something that's been my passion since ever. I was really great at school maths was my favorite i excelled at it so in a way it may not come as a surprise that oh i'm on the autistic spectrum um however it wasn't picked up early in life and yeah as you said it, it led me to to career in, in the insurance industry as an actuary so that's um i spent nine years um working as an actuary in the uk it's interesting i think when i look back before i got the diagnosis Especially, I've definitely been very focused on understanding processes and objects because it comes much more easily to me and because people are difficult. But following the diagnosis um, last year, just before the first lockdown, it, it really made me think, hang on. You know, I've been struggling and trying to really understand the world, but I wasn't given a manual. I need the manual, and that really led me to, to do the Masters in Positive Psychology and Coaching, because on one hand it gives me that understanding of um, how we can improve our own well-being, Um just, you know, and, and beyond just reducing anxiety and depression, really made me think, okay, well, how can I support my own well-being, because no one has taught me that, and because in a way, I felt like again before the diagnosis, especially I felt like I fell through the cracks when it comes to to the to the uh, medical system, you know. Because I was struggling, but I wasn't struggling enough to be an inpatient and go off work. Yeah. At the same time, I couldn't get much support from through the employer.
0: So what what led you to seek your autism spectrum diagnosis then?
1: Ah. <sighs> Good question. Um, it's been a long journey, really long journey. Um I think there's a little bit of always feeling a bit different and struggling perhaps with relationships. Mm. But I think it really became quite difficult for me um in the last couple of years. Well, a number of factors actually. When well, when I look back, it totally makes sense. Basically what's happened is the environment was no longer suitable for me. And it started to, to really impact my mental health. So a number of things happened at the same time. One was, um, the office I was working at in the past was based in the countryside. It was absolutely wonderful. Um, but I got closed. So I had to then start commuting to central London and just the journey itself. It's been so anxiety provoking. Um, at the same time, a number of people left the team. I found it really unsettling. A very supportive manager. She left. I just really felt a bit. Well, I suppose. Um, not really sure what was going on. On the outside, it really looked like I had everything together. But it was on. It was really when one came to me, you know, crying in the bathroom during lunch breaks and um, coming home and then sleeping for. Um, 12 hours because I was so tired and exhausted um, I think that's really what, what brought it home to me I think like, like many women I got, which I believe is misdiagnosis, I got diagnosed with BPD, borderline personality disorder yeah. and in a, that happened I think it was two or three years ago so a few years before the autism diagnosis yeah. um, in a way I felt like oh finally someone's not telling me I'm just depressed But it didn't still quite fit. There were still a few things that didn't make sense. I I don't really recall any traumatic experiences in the past. And then I think there was really a a number of different coincidences. I think one thing was um, to book a curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. I went to see the play of that. Amazing,
0: amazing, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And it really touched me. Um, I don't know, there was something really. Really something that I could really connect with. Um so that was on the back of my mind. I then went into it was a it was a talk in the city about neurodiversity. What really struck me there is that there was a woman there, um, raised her hand, said, well, I'm autistic. I'm getting these sort of challenges at work. And I'm not kidding. I was honestly thinking, but how come she's autistic? She's a woman and she speaks. Yeah. I mean, this is how uneducated I was about the subject, yeah. And that really made me think my teenage years were were really difficult. I ended up um, with an eating disorder. You know, it's it's been definitely not a, an easy ride.
0: So you said in your notes that you you sometimes you, you you did consider the fact you're from Poland and that obviously sometimes you you can be direct by your own words. Sometimes people basically thought, well, you know, you're you're Polish and you know you you don't conform to the British social norms and and, that, and that's kind of they put you in that box as opposed to to anything else.
1: Absolutely, and I think that's why partly uh, that would be another reason why I suppose no one has picked up on it earlier. In a way, it's quite good because I have an excuse. Um, But on the other hand, I think it might have made the whole process of of getting the diagnosis perhaps slightly more difficult. But I do wonder, um, I think even when I'm back in Poland, people do seem to be more direct, which again helps me massively.
0: Just tell us about how autism presents itself differently in in women.
1: I think there there are a number of differences. One around, I think women tend to internalize the pain of the struggles, whereas um, boys would be more likely to act out. I think that's one of the differences. Again, I'm generalizing here because you will get boys who will internalize um, the struggles and you will get um, girls that act out. But there isn't really a rule. I'm I'm generalizing. Um, I think that's so important to highlight it. Um, I think there's also the whole... I think part of it is also the societal expectations, you know, um, in terms of women having to socialise and be compliant and that's something I think I grew up in. Um, so in a way, on the surface, it looked like that I was social, but quite often um, I would... Well, I would socialize with other kids, but it's more really I didn't really have any other choice, and I would maybe stay a little bit on the side, perhaps not be the the main, you know, the loudest person in in the crowd. Yeah. Um. I think one thing that is really interesting around women, and that's something that came out in as part of my diagnosis, is that ability for women to to mask and camouflage. Yeah. Um. And I can tell that I'm I'm, I'm really like a chameleon um and sometimes yeah it really depending on the environment I'm in um i'm really i'm I'm really sensitive to that environment and it's it's very unconscious for me i I do pick pick that um sort of try try to fit in i think when it comes to to the diagnostic Mm -hmm. um diagnostic tests they are really based on on the male phenotype so um even looking back at the assessment um I, I my assessment was was specialized for women, which would have been a very different assessment if if i if I went and got a diagnosis that um perhaps used um was more focused on 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 the tests which again reflected the, the, the male phenotype um I suppose one example i I can give is interest um so quite often in Again, I'll be generalizing here when it comes to, um, to boys or men, the interests are very unusual. It could be, um, collecting stamps or, um, perhaps collecting information about trains. Um, for women, uh, quite often isn't. It, It could still be something that is more socially acceptable. It could be, could be even makeup. Um, but it's the intensity of it. Um, for me, I think it was um, two things. One was definitely mathematics. Um, I, I, I don't think it would be an exager- exaggeration for me to say that it was—it was like nearly like a religion to me. I definitely felt a very spiritual bond, and um, it's something that really made me feel safe in this very unpredictable world. Another interest for me was languages. Um, i loved learning languages Um, and i think it's it's interesting again with the hindsight when i look at it i think i really was trying to find a way to communicate and relate with the world
0: yeah is it is it not just a massive effort and does it not take lots of energy to constantly mask in different social situations
1: it does and i think and I think it's also the price that you pay for it, because at some point, and I think many women will will relate to that it's you don't know who you are anymore, this constant trying to fit in you stop you stop to you know to remember what what is it that you really like, you know even small things like small talk um talking about the weather and you know certain maybe interests. Um, I don't know, soap operas and things like that I have absolutely no interest but in order to create relationships in the workplace you do need to engage in it You
0: mentioned earlier that you struggled with relationships, I wondered if you could just give us some examples of what you mean there
1: I think with relationships for me was really what was difficult was to understand that not everyone acts in my best interest and people can and will exploit me Um, I think that's something that again I think many many autistic people, men and women are exposed to bullying are exposed to harassment and it's because I think many of us are very kind and you may also perhaps say naive, we simply find it much more difficult to read between the lines. I don't think I was in an abusive relationship per se but It's just I think I've always struggled to really draw clear boundaries again. I think we're going back to this whole thing of I want to be accepted, Um, so I'm going not to I'll do whatever it takes to to be accepted and feel loved. But I think there's also another aspect to it, which is um, actually understanding the signals, the bodily signals that that you get. which in many people on the autism spectrum, they will be to some extent, um, well, I don't like using this word, but I will, impaired. Mm-hmm. Um, one example I'll give you is, it has never come up on any test that I, have, that, I uh, that I have anxiety. It's always been depression. I think for a number of reasons, one probably because I would leave it so late to go to my GP that by then... You know, I'd be so exhausted from just being anxious that I'd end up. I'm um, feeling depressed. But on the other hand, if I look at the, at these tests and they ask you, you know, have you felt anxious? I'm like, well, what does it mean? um I actually, until very recently, didn't realize that I do feel anxious a lot of the time. I just simply didn't have the language for it.
0: You mentioned in your notes before that you. You basically had years of self hatred and despair.
1: That's that's an interesting one. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um I sent these notes a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Um it is a very strong word. I think it probably goes back to my teenage years again. My best friend I suppose she didn't have a happy childhood, it was a very abusive um um situation at home. And I certainly related to her. Um, I think, you know, I just saw all the pain and all the injustice and, and the environment. I think in a way, you know, it that in some way gave me perspective of things could be much worse. Um, and she certainly accepted me for who I was and, and still does. But I think at the same time, I always felt like, well, I shouldn't feel this way because I have a you know, a good enough family. I uh, don't have to worry about not having food or what it's gonna be like when I come home. The like a life home life was fairly stable, was good enough, and yet something was missing.
0: So, you you were talking about self awareness before. Did, did did the autism diagnosis give you that?
1: It has certainly increased that. I think I finally have answers for things that. I couldn't understand before a very um I think that, that I'll give you two examples. So one is around my hyper hypersensitivity to smell. Mm-hmm. Um it's I haven't met another person who has it as strong. Um uh, perhaps except for for my mom, although for some reason I think with age she has improved. I'm extremely sensitive to smells especially the nice ones. So in my household we we can't use fabric softener yeah um if some um, actually most of the things i use are fragrance free if someone comes in with with a re- very strong perfume or um puts on a hand cream that is really strong and just gives me instant headache and I just shut down. I can't process information. It's extremely really? strong, extremely really? difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also the same with new clothes from from the shop. I honestly need to wash new clothes quite a few times before they stop smelling like the shop. Yeah. Um really bizarre, really strange. And I suppose again before maybe you know if i think with my parents again because my mom was affected to some extent she could understand but that wasn't necessarily true when it came to teachers or, or the rest of the family it just was like well this is just really odd and what is your problem sort of thing but actually no this is a genuine need for me um so i finally had an answer you know but i think before i just thought well alone in the world and no one understands me no one believes me um whereas now it's like actually no it's fine it's just different and it's it's really comforting to, to know that there are people all over the world that will be over or under sensitive to, to some smells and and that's okay
0: really interesting i wonder if you could just talk us through some some other autistic traits that you that you have so Often it's said that you know, autistic people like rep- repetitive behaviour and routines, or as you talked about there, there's a there's a sensory sensitivity there, and you know highly focused interest.
1: Interesting in terms of repetitive behaviours or stimming behaviours, um, I don't have any. I would say that will be very typical of very noticeable. Yeah. And I wonder whether part of it is part of my upbringing, um, yeah. you know, it's quite. A quiet child was a good child. And I I still remember like rocking at the chair and just being told off for it. So it's certainly the environment um, didn't allow me to to even try stimming, even if I wanted to. Um, I think certain things that I do, um, I suppose an interesting one is echolalia. Um, again, there is a spectrum when it comes to Echolalia itself, and that, that's really a repeating of, of information. Um, in my case, it would be very subtle. And my um, my partner always laughs about it because it's actually quite funny. So if I spend too much time with someone, um, it could be a work colleague or a friend, I end up picking up on how they speak. And that could be words, that could be even um, the accent, it's, it's absolutely hilarious. It's, it's totally subconscious, but I think, again, it's that assimilation and, 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 and picking up on what was said recently that somehow just sticks with me. Again, looking back at my, um, employment in, in insurance before I read and like when people would just come round to my desk and, and ask if I have five minutes, it just would disrupt my, my rhythm, if you like. Um, I'd much rather they put in a meeting and then I know, okay, there's a meeting yeah. and that's where I need to be rather than someone just coming and invading my space, if you like. And I think the upside of that is it's because it really impacted on the time when I could spend some time and, and focus on, on what I was doing. I, I definitely have this ability to, to hyper focus. I could spend what well, quite often it's two to three hours straight working on one piece of work totally concentrated when I've been studying positive psychology it, it's connected with flow um, which is the state when you're fully absorbed in what you do to the point where you're not really aware of, of your surroundings which is a wonderful thing but can also become a very obsessive thing and certainly been very obsessive for me just seeking these experiences where I can be so so merged with the activity that I can forget about the world.
0: And that's just to just interrupt there, that's really interesting what you say about about flow states. And, and we touched on that when I interviewed Dina and Fergus Murray, who created the uh, monotropism theory of autism, which is often overlooked. I wondered if I could ask you about some misconceptions that are out there around autism. For example, often people say that autistic people have no empathy. What would, what would you say to that?
1: oh it's so misunderstood and it's very hurtful just because something doesn't look the way that is expected doesn't mean it's not there i think autistic people they they feel quite often it's the information that we get that can be confusing so i think simon baron cohen he speaks about um these two types of empathy affective empathy and and cognitive empathy Mm -hmm. autistic people certainly feel but there are sometimes issues in terms of interpreting that information and also actually to to even more high extent knowing what to do about it if anything sometimes you, you feel also too deeply i certainly absorb um people's emotions um and it's really difficult to know what to do about them, especially if I'm in mean, a group of people and especially if the uh, bodily signals are different from what they say. It just creates a lot of confusion.
0: So what, what's different now that you've received your diagnosis? What, 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 have you, what have you gained from your diagnosis in terms of support?
1: I think one thing um, that has certainly helped me is to get the right support i've been working with a dbt therapist while i was going through the diagnosis um i did ask her actually does she think i'm on the autistic spectrum and she was like well i don't think so um although again i think looking back at that the, some diagnostic criteria that um i met i was quite high on the um obsessive compulsive personality disorder um scale which again when you think about the obsessions that are associated with autism it shouldn't really be a surprise but um I think another thing that really the diagnosis has helped me with is to find community um it's really interesting because I've actually I think the more the more I opened up about my experiences the more some of my colleagues and friends said, well, actually, you know, I am autistic too. I just don't talk about it because, well, I don't think people would understand. And I think every time someone would say that they are, um, they either have the diagnosis or they think they might be autistic. Um, I would still think, Oh, are you sure that you don't fit, the, you know, the stereotype? I still do that. It's horrible. It's my first response. But then when I do reflect on have Certain situations or how they respond, I think actually that makes sense. um mm-hmm. so it's really wonderful to to know that I'm not the only one in the world because that's what how things felt like before.
0: Sometimes you hear people say, Well well, aren't we all a little bit autistic well, what would you say to that?
1: Oh, I really don't like it. I know it's probably I think most people when they say that they mean well, but I think it's really. No, taking away something that is quite dear, you know, it's still a big thing to really process the fact that you are you have this label, which is still uh, carries a lot of stigma. And then to be told, oh, you're not even good enough to, you know, to to just have it and own it And um, because, well, you know, we, we're all a bit autistic. I, I don't think that's fair.
0: Do you think the neurodiversity movement is bringing the autistic community closer to together or or dividing them?
1: Mm, That's a very interesting question. Um, I've been seeing quite a lot um, whenever there is um, an article or or an article around um, autism that this neurodiversity is just attached to it. I think there's certainly been a misuse of that word. It's quite often, well, autism sounds, sounds, sounds quite scary. Let's put neurodiversity as well. It sounds quite cool and interesting. And I think there's also another, um, perhaps practical point of view when it comes to advertising and marketing. Neurodiversity is still quite a new word. It probably does much better in searches than autism. Um, which I think is quite sneaky because it really, um, does a lot of disservice to, to what neurodiversity advocates stand for I think that's also very important to acknowledge that say you know all these different neurodiversities are not just superpowers Um, they certainly aren't and there are challenges um, because well you because your brain is is why different even most most people yeah. And I think that's one danger of of sort of promoting neurodiversity to the point where it's seen only as a strength, a superpower, or mathematical genius right um I think it's it's important to to really understand that although someone may look like they they're doing okay, they still probably need quite a lot of support. A metaphor that I really love is is of a swan. You know you see a swan on the lake and and looks very calm um but you don't see all the paddling that's, that's going on underneath it and i think that's something that has to, that is to be remembered
0: what would you say to anyone listening to this podcast right now that's perhaps identified with a lot of what you've said today
1: take your time um be kind to yourself research um and see if you read read more about the topic and see if you can relate and in terms of the diagnosis process i would say definitely think about what you're going to gain and whether you need it um because i think many autistic people these days um self-identify so they will go through um the criteria and they will in a way self-assess and be quite happy with that i think it's it's certainly a choice and not a must
0: i'm going to ask you a question that i ask all my all my guests on the different minds podcast series so if you you had the opportunity what advice would you give your younger self
1: oh (laughs) it's interesting because i knew this question would come up um (laughs) but i don't know you said it and i'm just feeling all emotional about it just now. I think the biggest one for me would be around hope and not giving up and i think i'd probably when you say my younger self would probably be me at 16 because that's when i was at my lowest and my, the eating disorder just took over my life and i couldn't see i couldn't see a way out of it stay hopeful and try new things out
0: Thank you so much, Alicia, for coming on 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 the show today. I, I think it's a really you know brave thing that you have done, and you're incredibly open. And I know that your you know the, the, the advice and your your personal experience will help many of our listeners. And you know, you talk about your pre and post adult ASD assessment, which was incredibly fascinating and, and insightful. And and kind of what I'm taking from what you've said today is all about you know seeing autism. As, as something that we need to see as a, is that it's basically about how different people are and and essentially after all it's through difference that we learn more achieve more and add, add more substance to day-to-day life in in society so um keep up the good work
1: thank you so much yeah it's been it's been amazing to um to be here